You're listening to Soundcast, a podcast that gives voice to experts on everything connected to the subject of sound. The podcast is produced by the Sound Advertising Bureau, Sweden's industry organization for sound-based communication, representing Acast, Bauer Media, Nent Radio and Spotify. I've been asked to talk about the emergent world of ASMR. My name is James Taylor Foster, and I am the curator of contemporary architecture and design at Arktas, the Swedish Center for Architecture and Design in Stockholm. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. It's a term that describes a physical sensation, euphoria or deep calm, sometimes a tingling in the body. In recent years, an online audience of millions has grown. People across the world dedicated to watching the work of creators who try to trigger this feeling in their viewers. They do it by talking softly, whispering or eating, touching or tapping, and far more besides. As little as a decade ago, ASMR was largely dismissed as a figment of the imagination. Today the term represents one of the largest movements on the internet, and it has become impossible to ignore. You may not have heard of it before now, but as academic institutions around the world seek to make sense of the phenomenon, creatives, known as ASM artists, are building an audio-visual movement. This movement transcends language and culture in favor of bodily feels. Like meditation or yoga, ASMR happens to both your body and to your mind. It's not about speed, but about focus and slowness. ASM artists do not seek to entertain, but to relax. For experiences like you or I, it offers a degree of insulation from a noisy, wandering world. Through sound and film, shared through broadcasting platforms such as YouTube and increasingly syndicated through podcast platforms, works of ASMR make room for three things. Close looking, close feeling and close listening. So what's going on? I have a theory. ASMR injects the internet with softness, kindness and empathy. As a form of digital intimacy, it offers comfort on demand, standing against that feeling of isolation that constant connectivity can deceptively breed. Anecdotally, ASMR is being used more and more as a form of self-medication against the effects of loneliness, insomnia, stress and anxiety. This is a cue to its success and to its transcendental appeal. Everyone has the capacity to perceive ASMR, yet it is highly individual. The response that you might have might be very different from what I have or from the person sitting next to you. If you discover a work of ASMR that triggers you, you might feel a tingling sensation start at the top of your scalp and travel down your neck, spine and arms. You might feel relaxation or euphoria very intensely or very softly. 
At the same time, you might feel nothing at all. Through touch, ASM artists distill the character and qualities of ordinary objects into audiovisual experiences. As such, an ASM artist's toolbox can contain all sorts of everyday household items used to trigger ASMR. A brush, a pen, a bottle, a pot, a torch, a comb, a candle, a book, and so on. It can also include less common materials that behave in unexpected ways, such as kinetic sand. Most triggers rely not on the object itself, but on the human interface with that object. Tapping and scratching, for instance, two common triggers, requires quick fingers or long nails. ASM artists tend to look beyond the given function of an object in favor of its material texture, its color, or the sounds that are produced by it. As the creative field around ASMR has matured, new genres have emerged, facilitated by the interaction between design and technology. A growing interest in sound and video production has led some ASM artists to build small-scale studios designed with the acoustic quality of the space in mind. Green screen backdrops are increasingly common, allowing for more immersive role-play ASMR. Binaural dual-channel recording techniques have also been adopted by the ASMR community, made possible by microphones embedded in prosthetic human heads or ears. An ASMR trigger can be more abstract than a sound or an action. Kindness, compassion, and positive affirmation can each trigger a response that may not necessarily prompt tingles, nor a sense of calm or euphoria. Many people who create and consume ASMR are simply searching for a connection with another person. This form of digital intimacy contributes to a new emotional economy of care. It exists almost exclusively online, offering intimacy in return for trust, empathy in return for vulnerability, and comfort in return for commitment. It's like a sort of proximity between strangers, in this case the ASM artist and the ASMR experiencer, and it exists outside many of the social and material demands of the real world. Although there is a difference between solitude and loneliness, just as there is between anxiety and an anxiety disorder, new structures of collective feeling, of which ASMR is a fundamental part, may be a response to largely silent epidemics around mental health. But online intimacies are often non-reciprocal, and dependency is not necessarily a form of self-care. If ASMR is filling a void, we should ask what has created this void. Does ASMR embody a solution to a problem that we do not yet understand, or is it a response to an urgency of which we are not yet fully aware? How does the technology we use to create and distribute content, the microphones and cameras we carry around in our pockets, for example, connect to intimacy? I'll try to explain it as I see it. Over the last few months, in a state of partial self-isolation, I've been watching, on repeat, Midnight Diner, a melancholic Japanese television show based on the Shinya Shokodu manga series by Yaro Abe. The first episode of the second season 
opens with a pot. Into a pool of hot oil, sliced bacon lands with a thud. Then comes chopped vegetables before stock and water deafens the sizzling. As the pot bubbles and noodles are boiled, the camera frames the front of the shop from the dark winding alleyway that it faces. The show comprises a collection of short stories about connections between strangers. It taps into an emergent reality that we are all very much alone together. The narrative arc of each episode is often simple, often poignant. Characters find joy in the joy of unexpected encounters, and these encounters are wreathed by the memories that the aroma and flavors of a certain dish, often childhood favorites, can trigger. Plum rice balls, for example, can stand for comfort. Curry ramen can stand for loss. While I'm tapped into video calls and messaging services, podcasts and screens more now than ever before, these sounds and images have become a part of solitary evenings of screens. Over time, I've come to understand that it settles me. It's not just entertainment. It establishes a space of intimacy, a sense of security, I suppose, an impression of passive calm. If intimacy is a basic human need, points of access to feeling and experiencing it have become more obscure, more difficult to find. To spend time with a person online often first involves a seductive scrape with the tip of your finger along a frictionless surface. In other words, a smartphone. This motion, however natural it may feel, belies an expectation of intimacy. Control and consent, usually a bodily negotiation between two people, becomes a question of accept or deny. Will I accept your call or deny your call? Will I listen to this track or will I not listen to this track? What can happen, though, is a form of intimacy. Effective intimacy, you could call it. Sometimes the void that this creates and completes can leave us ruminating at the edge of emptiness before our attention is inevitably pulled elsewhere. But sound has the potential to carve space for effective intimacy. When we insert a pair of headphones into our ears, perhaps the most intimate form of wearable technology widely accessible right now, we are closing the gap between the voice and the listener. I'm reminded of something that Marshall McLuhan said in 1967 in his famous book, The Medium is the Massage, an Inventory of Effects. He said this, The wheel is an extension of the foot. The book is an extension of the eye. Clothing, an extension of the skin. Electric circuitry, an extension of the central nervous system. ASMR has a lot to teach us about creating space for people's personalities to travel through a speaker, through circuitry, through and into the central nervous system. If we listen closely, we can recognize through works of ASMR that intimacy has many adjacencies, that it can be close and clear as much as it can be remote and indistinct. In the end, I suppose it's our collective responsibility 
to acknowledge this as new structures of collective feeling through the internet emerge. Each of our own lived experiences defines these proximities, and we should work hard to make sure that new forms of intimacy are not flattened nor confined. Weird Sensation Feels Good, an exhibition exploring ASMR, is on display at Arktes, the Swedish Center for Architecture and Design in Stockholm. Featuring works by ASM artists from around the world, the television painter Bob Ross, and a global cross-section of ASMR culture created over the last decade, the exhibition is available to visit until November 1st, 2020. A virtual tour is available to experience on Arktes' website. Music